G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You might be aware that in the first 11 days of what is known as Ramadan, there have been a significant number of terror attacks around the world. Now, if I tell you the figures, there's been 59 attacks in the last 11 days. More than 600 people killed around the world in 17 countries. Uh, That's a huge number. And uh, as I understand it, uh, there's a trajectory that means that this may be a Ramadan with the most number of terror attacks of any recent times. Well, lots of focus has been on the big attacks in the UK. Of course, at a concert two weeks ago and on London Bridge over the weekend. But there has been significant movement also in Southeast Asia. Analysts have been warning for years that IS could gain a foothold in the southern Philippines through loyalists in a dozen militant groups, including the brutal Abu Sayyaf, which has kidnapped hundreds of people and launched attacks across the Philippines. Well, according to Singapore's Defence Minister, they won't limit themselves to the Philippines. There are fears that militants will soon start attacking places like Kuala Lumpur. They'll start attacking Singapore. They'll start attacking Jakarta in Indonesia. Well, what does all this mean, increasing terror attacks? Well, our special guest today is Professor Peter Riddell. He serves as Vice Principal Academic at the Melbourne School of Theology and as Professorial Research Associate in the Department of History at the School of Oriental and African Studies, University of London. His latest article, published in the U.S. publication called The American Spectator, says that what's been happening with terror attacks in the U.K. should have been addressed decades ago. He's been published widely on the study of Islam and of Christian-Muslim relations, and he's joining us for our conversation this coming hour. Professor Peter Riddell on the line. Hello, Peter. Hello, Neil. Good morning. I introduced our segment today talking about an article that you've just had published in an American publication called The American Spectator. I wonder whether, Peter, if you reflect on what's been going on in London uh, about some of the things you've been talking about, saying that uh, the UK ought to have recognised there were signs that were leading to the sorts of attacks that we're seeing today that date back decades. How are your uh, perspectives on, on what's been going on in London? Yes, well, um, obviously I've reacted with, uh, with horror, just like everybody else has at these uh, events taking place in London. Um, tragic in terms of what's happening now, today, yesterday, and recent times. Um, and there is so much happening in terms of terror attacks across the world in the in the present time, in the present moment, that it's easy to lose sight of, of long-term things that have been taking place. And the purpose of my article really was to ask the question, how does... 
uh, how, do, how do current events and current tragedies reflect uh, really failures in policy over long term by policy makers. Now in the case of Great Britain, um, I argue in my article that the signs really of today's problems were there oh, really a generation ago, 20, 25 years ago, going back to the time of the Rushdie crisis. And um, I lived in Britain for much of this period myself, and I saw the the uh, the rise of radical thinking, the growth of radical thinking among um, parts of the Muslim community in Britain, and really the British government's inability to deal with it. And um, that inability to deal with it by successive governments through the 90s, uh, through the first 15, 16 years of the 20th, 21st century, have led us to the point we're at today. It's, it's tragic, but um, long and hard questions need to be asked by policy makers in Britain and other countries can ask what can we learn from it. And of course these things are relevant not only in the UK but what is happening with Islam in so many different contexts around the world and and I don't want to focus too much on what happened three decades ago but you did draw attention to the Salman Rushdie issue where the Ayatollah Khomeini, this is going back as you say around 30 years, uh, put out a fatwa uh, because uh, Rushdie had published a book called The Satanic Verses and it was all about uh, the Quran and uh, and of course the idea that uh, that someone could be hunted down because they hold a different perspective uh, really starts to form something of an idea about about how things work when you up, come up against uh, a, a religious ideology like Islam. Yes, indeed. And, and that was a very important case, I think, to show how um, if early signs of a problem are not detected, then those problems can grow to a, a huge state, which is what we have today. The, the basic issue back in 1989 was um, within Britain, a citizen of Britain, Salman Rushdie, wrote a book. Um, a foreign religious leader, the Ayatollah in Iran, considered it blasphemous. Um, he called for the author to be assassinated. The British government reacted very strongly against the Ayatollah's fatwa, but and some uh, radical British Muslims came out and supported the Ayatollah and there were street demonstrations. Now, that was an early sign that Britain had a problem of a radical element in its midst and that's just grown since then. Now, we'll talk some more about Britain, but let's extend our conversation to the things that are developing in Southeast Asia and you have written widely about Islam in Southeast Asia and also uh, Christian-Muslim relations. Uh, let's talk about the Philippines as a central focal point, although I know that uh, Southeast Asia is, is experiencing broader issues, but the Philippines is significant. What have you been observing about the Philippines of recent weeks? Yes, well, um, t timing here I think is is. It's important to, to note uh, there are a couple of things going on. One is that the um, the Islamic State uh, control of its territories in, in western Iraq and Syria, uh, it's collapsing. Um, so uh, Mosul is about to fall to uh, Iraqi forces uh, supported by allied, allied bombing and so forth. Um, Islamic State is under pressure 
everywhere in that region. And so what's happening is that as the Islamic State control within that region collapses, then some of its fighters are returning to the countries that they came from. And they're considering options for other little Islamic states around the world. Now, one of the areas of um, Southeast Asia that has long been a real trouble spot has been the southern Philippines. Um, there have been Islamic insurgencies going back decades in that area. And so this uh, on May the 23rd, the capture um, of parts of Marawi City by a group of uh, Islamic radicals represents not only a continuation of problems in that area, but it's a statement that if Islamic State falls in the Middle East, then its supporters and its fighters will try and establish alternative Islamic states in other areas. And this is a matter of great concern for Southeast Asian political and social leaders. Now, I'm not sure you heard my introduction because we had a little issue with the telephone, but uh, I was talking uh, a quote from Singapore's defence minister who says that in the Philippines uh, the, the terrorists won't limit themselves to the Philippines and he holds fears that they, the militants, will soon start attacking cities like Kuala Lumpur uh, and Singapore and uh, attacking places like Jakarta in Indonesia. Is, are his fears founded, do you think? Oh, look, yes, I think they are. Um, uh, the, the, the question is what form that the, that infiltration will take. But we have to understand the mindset of these Islamist radicals. They don't think in terms of the nation state. So in a sense, they're not particularly interested in whether it's the Philippines or Singapore or Indonesia or Malaysia or Brunei or whatever. Their, their interest is in grabbing land and, and um, establishing Islamic states. And their goal would be to grab as much land and as much influence as they could in areas where Muslims are in the majority. Now, that means that represents a, a threat to southern Philippines, to southern Thailand, to Malaysia, to Indonesia, to Brunei. So certainly their, their, their designs extend far beyond the, the current small area that they control in Marawi City in the Philippines. Uh, how do we fare in Australia? I mean, there's in the news today uh, the issue that's come out of Melbourne with the uh, terror attack yesterday. Uh, what are your thoughts about Australia and our separatedness uh, from Southeast Asia, our separatedness from uh, some of the issues where where terror uh, and where uh, radical Islamic groups have been able to develop. Uh, your thoughts on Australia, Peter? Well, in looking at all the different um, incidents that have taken place um, over the last couple of weeks, and timing is significant here, if I could just uh, add that we're in the month of Ramadan, and Ramadan has long been regarded since the beginning of Islamic history as a month of particular Islamic uh, fervor and devotion, but also for jihad. So for, for those radical Muslims who consider military jihad to be f front and center of, of their goals, this is the time to do it. And that's another reason why we're seeing so much activity at the moment by radicals. Um, so in looking at the different attacks and the different thing, uh, events that are taking place, there are common elements. There's terror. There's Islamist mindsets. Um, but there are some differences as well. And, of course, the attack, um, the uh, incident the other day in Melbourne um, by the uh, Somali uh, gentleman who was killed, um, that was that more resembled the Lint Cafe attack in 2014. So it, it didn't have the same degree of networking taking place of 
in, uh, inputs from outside. It was a he he looks like being the the, the kind of lone wolf kind of uh, terrorist that one hears about. Um, and at this stage, um, the, they're the events that have happened in Australia. We've had a couple of lone wolf attacks, and we've certainly had a number of uh, other attempts and foiled plots. Um, so uh, Australia needs to take very careful note. I think um, the Prime Minister's uh, questions about reviewing parole policy uh, is absolutely important. We certainly need to track closely the rise of Islamist thinking. We've had uh, Islamist radicals go off and join ISIS in, in, uh, in the Middle East um, and attempt to return to Australia. We need to monitor it very closely indeed. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Professor Peter Riddell, our guest, we're talking terrorism and we're talking not only what's been going on in London but terror attacks around the world and a focus on Southeast Asia today and also what's going on in Australia. Uh, Peter, if we're talking through some of the issues as to what weapons of terror are being used... Uh, We've seen truck attacks, van attacks, car attacks. Uh, Just recently, uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, a hammer attack. Uh, What's happened in the UK at the London Bridge attacks, of course, uh, a rampage with knives and stabbings. Uh, Very dreadful things that are going on. But the idea of using what's in your hand to bring terror appears to have gotten through to a lot of uh, radical terror uh, people who are uh, who have been radicalised in, in this sense uh, by uh, radical Islam. Uh, what are your thoughts on on, on what uh, weapons are being used to wreak uh, terror around the world? Yes, well. Um of course, we, we, we're speaking about a completely different kind of approach to conventional warfare. In the past, uh, armies fought armies. Uh, they, they faced each other with tanks and tra- highly trained soldiers and so forth. Uh, in the case of these, uh, these radicals, they see themselves as, uh, and they're trained to see themselves as foot soldiers fighting for the, for the cause of jihad. And to that extent, um, any means uh, that is used, uh, that can be used to achieve their goals is, is worthwhile. And certainly any means to strike terror into the heart of their perceived enemies is useful so um you know um the the, the use of uh, unconventional means to to tackle their enemies such as driving vans into into large uh, groups of people or the use of knives uh, is, is something that's particularly appealing to them knives especially is is a, a favorite form of attack and of course um, knife attacks uh, has been taking place quite a lot in Israel for a long time so we're seeing that reproduced in other locations as well but really the idea is to use whatever means they can to strike terror into the hearts of their enemies uh, and to use Use means which are unexpected. So the conventional means of armies, tanks, guns is set aside and unconventional, unexpected means are used to take the uh, enemy by surprise as they see it. As a Christian commentator on these things, Peter, connect the dots for us. When we talk about the uh, process of radicalization and we see another a terror attack on the news, to what extent does the fact that there are continued terror attacks uh, actually influencing the process of radicalization? What do you think is going on in the heart and mind of that particular Islamic uh, follower 
uh, to actually be radicalised uh, with you know more and more terror attacks. Yes, well, look, there have been several stages in the development of this this problem, and uh, we spoke a little earlier about the uh, the history of uh, the rise of radical thinking in Britain, but more broadly. Um, the world authorities have dropped the ball also in terms of watching uh, developments, watching the training of radicals. Back in the, the early part of this century, in 2001, 2002, 2003, the reports of terror training camps in different locations that were beyond the reach of government authorities were quite widespread. And so a process of, of training a, a core, an elite, an elite cadre, in a sense, um, took place in many of these camps and then those who were trained went back to their countries and uh, passed on the information in a sense and really the process of radicalization it includes training in weaponry training in in tactics of terror but it also involves radical preaching as well and here again often western governments have dropped the ball in fact uh, in britain again to cite a case in britain a problem that was particularly strong over the last decade has been um, the importing of radical preachers to british mosques who deliver radical sermons which uh, are unchecked and some investigative reporting picked up on some of this but so the process of radicalization takes many forms and it's had a number of stages that is camps training of individuals but also training back home through uh, radical preaching it's been a big problem I wonder whether we are in a better position in Australia to clamp down on some of that radicalism uh, than some other nations and perhaps if we turn our sights again to Southeast Asia and I'm aware of uh, stories I remember having a conversation some time back about uh, about a, a Christian Bible college operating very close to a uh, a terror training camp in the Philippines. Uh, obviously, terror training camps in the Philippines have been perhaps harder for the for the, for the Philippine authorities to be able to stamp out. But uh, they're doing all they can now. But, but these things have uh, have been allowed to uh, to propagate over over many years. Well, they have, and and your, your question: Are we somewhat better placed in Australia to monitor this? Well, yes, we are, for a number of reasons. One is um, we are a, you know, a large island with a lot of sea around us, so we're, we're able to control our, our borders uh, much more effectively than uh, than uh, countries, the countries of Europe, can do, for example. We also uh, don't have the history of um, in the Philippines, for example, of having a large and restive and dis disaffected um, population in the south. The Muslim population in the south of the Philippines has been a site of um, ongoing rebellion uh, against the central government control literally for decades, going back, going back to the time of the American um, uh, colonial pe period there. So um, we don't have that issue as well. We don't have a, a large disaffected uh, community producing radicals um, uh, where our government is, un is unable to get in and have control. So Australia is well placed. Uh, having said that, we need to be alert and uh, we need to have governments who are alert to the problem and don't uh, take any silly decisions and let their guard down in these troubled times. Peter, just a minute or so out from news, a quick response on the idea of radicalisation. Is it now beyond control? Is it out of control in so many places around the world? 
Well, look, uh, if we're talking about the Islamist radicalization, it has been present for centuries. Um, Islamic State will fall in Syria and Iraq, but the ideology will live on. That kind of radicalization will continue to take place. So, yes, it is out of control, and it is going to be very difficult to eradicate. Let's take a phone call uh, from a listener, Anne, in Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along to 2020. Hello. Hello, Anne. What are your thoughts on our conversation today? Um, my thoughts is, from a Christian perspective, is that the fact that we just um, we don't need to be afraid because God's in control of the whole situation. We don't only see a little uh, picture of it, and He sees the big picture. And as you are saying, the fact is that um, we can't uh, get rid of this. And so we just got to pray for people to be strong in, in their Christian walk with, with the Lord um, because they will come when this thing will be completely done, when the Lord comes back and, he, and there'll be a new earth and a new heaven. So I, I look forward to that and that in the future. And, and you yeah. bring out some very, very good points and we have a hope that is greater than whatever circumstances we yeah. face today. Let's bring our guest, uh, Professor Peter Riddell, uh, Christians cowering in the corner that's not the sort of image i get from my reading and understanding of the scriptures how peter do you think christians ought to be responding to all of the news that is about rising uh, radicalism and terrorism around the world well, look, uh, I think uh, I think your your caller is is certainly correct in that uh, Christians shouldn't be shouldn't be afraid. Uh, we have every reason to be confident. Um, Oh, but I think uh, I think one one thing that Christians need to need to be doing is to be informing themselves about this. Uh, there has been a tendency in some Christian quarters to stay apart and feel that politics is for politicians and uh, and secularists and uh, Christians should uh, should not get involved. And indeed, sometimes when Christians do get involved in in political matters and in the public square, they're told to go back to church and keep keep their nose out of it. Now, I I absolutely disagree with that. So I think that uh, Christians do need to be active. Uh, we need to uh, we need to inform ourselves as to the big issues of the day in the public square in politics, and we need to make our voices voices heard. Uh, and there are all sorts of reasons for that because I think there are particular issues that we need to be speaking out on. Uh, thank you to Anne from Labrador. Not a time to be cowering in the corner. Let's take a call. Joseph is in Blacktown in Sydney. Hello, Joseph. Welcome along. Yes, hello. How are you? This is Joe from Blacktown. Uh, Joe, what's uh, what are your thoughts on our conversation today? Um, well, I, I see um, an increase, uh, especially in the West, of, of terrorist attacks, and I think what will happen, what, we, what we're, we, we should expect to see shortly, is a little bit of a, a, a change in the narrative uh, involving Israel. Uh, uh, leaders from the West will start turning their attention towards Israel as being part of the primary cause, which it isn't, of this uh, rise in terrorism. And, and I think we'll start to see a bit of a, a tide of... Uh, change of, of western nations against israel which is which is very sad but i think it's inevitable um and also we need to as christians stand firm uh, uh on the word of god we have to be outspoken and uh with, with kindness and love though but outspoken uh using the word of god but i do think we'll see a change in this whole uh, i think it's, it might be too late for europe and i think this might islam might be god's instrument Okay. Good thoughts in all of that, Joseph. Uh, Let's let's pick up on uh, the point that you're making about Israel, Uh, God's chosen people, an incredible thing that God has done with the nation of Israel. Uh, Some thoughts, uh, Peter Riddell, uh, on things that happen in Israel. 
the way that nations think about Israel and perhaps uh, how things are developing around the world by, by regard to, uh, to rad- radical terrorism? Yes, well, look, uh, Israel gets a lot of bad press uh, these days uh, in the secular media and indeed in the uh, in parts of the uh, Christian media increasingly as well. And I think your caller may well be right that um, uh, political figures will be turning uh, increasingly and attributing the the root cause of these problems to to Israel, which would be a complete misreading of the situation. The bottom line is that, um, without going into too much detail, the bottom line is that the phenomenon of radicalisation that we see today, radical Islamist thinking and radical Islamist violence, that's been there for centuries going right back to the beginning of Islamic history in the, in the 600s. From, now that's long before the state of Israel was created. So anybody who suggests that today's radical Islamist problem is simply the result of the state of Israel is, is completely misreading and misunderstanding the situation. Okay, thank you so much to Joseph from Blacktown in New South Wales. Let's take another call. Chris is in Victoria. Hi, Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. Chris, what are your thoughts? Uh, yes, Neil. Uh, I just want to think, you know, this terrorism, we can't stop it. You know, it's going to increase because I think it's it's the only way that the um, Antichrist will be revealed. So as Christians, we should accept that. Um, you know, it's the only way he'll be revealed. And I think we should... Um, be um, more and more preaching prophecy and to people and letting them know about the Antichrist, uh, letting them know about the mark of the beast, these sort of things, because I think that's the future and we shouldn't be scared of it. We should just uh, uh, embrace it, you know. Okay, embracing the future. Uh, your thoughts, Peter Riddell? Well, uh, embracing, yes. Uh, embracing the future means being wise to what's going on today and developing appropriate policies and appropriate responses. So I think we need to do that. Thank you so much to Chris from Victoria. We'll take some more calls in just a few moments. Let me just uh, ask you here, Peter Riddell, uh, the idea of terrorists targeting Christians, uh, the connection between Western civilization and Christianity. Uh, what are your thoughts about what is going on and where Christians are a part of this, but, but not really in the headlines? People are not talking about Christians, but, but Christians somehow or other are a part of the reason for the attacks. How do you, how do you understand those things? You know, um, I think it's important to, to, that, we, that we understand that, that Islam is far more than simply a religion, uh, a set of religious doctrines. Um, Muslims go to mosque on Friday and they have their doctrines and their, and their, their faith and, and so forth. But Muslim scholars themselves say that Islam's much more than that. Islam is, is a whole package for total living. So Islam is doctrines, but Islam is also a system of, a powerful system of law, Sharia law. Islam is a system of economic organization. So we hear about Sharia banking. Islam is a system of political and social organization. Now, so for for Muslims, um, the way they're brought up, they see Islam as being the total package, religion, society, politics, economics, you name it. And naturally, uh, Muslims, when Muslims therefore see the West and they see that the dominant religion, according to census figures, is Christianity, they equate Christianity as the West. Um, now... Of course, we, as believing and practicing Christians, might not want to associate ourselves with much that goes on with the West, but many Muslims do. And that's a problem that we need to address. Um, with the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester recently, for example, um, after the bombing of that event took place, I 
I went on to the site, the website of the singer Ariana Grande, and I didn't know her from a bar of soap, to be honest. I knew nothing about her, and I was shocked. When I went onto the website, what I found was the website began with a clip from one of her latest songs, and in, the clip showed a couple engaged in a sex act on the bonnet of a car, and various other lewd images were there as well. Now, this was the singer who was holding a concert that lots of parents were taking their eight-year-old kids to, and Muslims look at that and they think that's the West, that's Christianity. So that's why, sadly, Christians are often conflated with the West in general in the Muslim mindset. And um, that is also explains why, sadly, Christians are often the targets of these terrorist activities as, as they have been in, in Iraq, as they have been in Pakistan, as they have been in the Philippines, as they have been in, in Syria and so forth. And it's a important uh, point to draw out here. And uh, your thoughts again, Peter Riddell, because uh, when you talk about Ariana Grande and uh, a sort of a sexualized uh, appearance and image that she has, uh, there is a sense in which as Christians we say we want to stand up for the West, we want to defend our freedoms but one of the freedoms in the West, of course, is a freedom to do all sorts of things that, as Christians, we cringe at. Uh, the word debauchery comes to mind. The idea of all of these sorts of things that are, in fact, uh, evil by way of the, the way that it, it affects young minds. We aren't necessarily, as Christians, trying to defend those things, but we understand that those who are looking on to Western society, they're saying that's what Christian is. That's a, that's a big concern, isn't it? Well, it certainly is, exactly. And uh, I think one of the th there are many things that we need to do as Christians. Uh, we need to be activists, but, but we need to be activists in terms of the steady decline of, of the West, in terms of its morality, in terms of its, uh, the, the values, that, that, that the spiritual and, and values of decency that, that should underlie our society. But far too often the church is silent. Um, for, uh, take Ariana Grande, for example, her website, um, and showing those images that I described, and attracting 8-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old kids. Where is the church in this? Is the church speaking out about her? Is the church, are we as members of the church, are we writing letters of protest and so forth, or are we silent? I, I think we need to be more activist in, in getting out there and challenging these, these kinds of, this steady decline in the West. And, of course, many of the attacks, and not all, because some of them have been in public spaces where crowds have gathered for all sorts of peaceful and uh, good uh, reasons, but many of the attacks have been uh, where uh, there's uh, been this sort of uh, immorality on display uh, and sometimes even uh, sport, uh, sport as a religion in that sense of, of, of doing things that are, are not... Uh, in any way uh, religiously inclined and morally inclined. Uh, some of the attacks, your thoughts on, on the sorts of targets that Islamists might actually have in mind, uh, Peter? Well, you know, one of the greatest tragedies, um, apart from the tragedies that we are seeing increasingly frequently in the West, is that in, in, in non-Western countries where Christians live in the minority, um, Islamists in those locations who want to target the West, who do they see as their soft target? It's local Christians. And th we've seen this with 
great, uh, terrible tragedies have taken place just in recent times this year in Pakistan, Palm Sunday bombings, the bombings of churches in, in Egypt and so forth. So Islamists who want to attack the West for all sorts of reasons, uh, and obviously the, the, those attacks are completely unjustifiable and horrifying, but they target Christian minorities in Muslim-majority countries uh, and they suffer, the, 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 the Christian minorities suffer for the vices of the West so often. We're taking calls, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Ed in Victoria. Hello, Ed, welcome along. Hello. Are you with us, Ed? Ed, what are your yes. thoughts? Uh, good day, guys. Um, look, a conversation came up again last night, and that was uh, something that I was actually touting for quite a while, and that is that Allah is the same God as the God of the Jews and the Christians, and yet in the Quran. Um, the Jews and the Christians are to be persecuted, which is totally, totally in contradiction with what the Bible would teach us. And so I'm not sure how much this has had to do with our society accepting Islam as being an equivalent religion to Christianity and, and, and um, the Jewish religion. I just wondered what your thoughts were on, is Allah the God of the Bible or is Allah not? Because either he is and he's changed dramatically or he isn't and um, we have a serious problem. Ed, a very significant question that needs to come up often and needs to be answered definitively. Your thoughts, Peter, on uh, Ed's question about God, the God of the Bible, and Allah? Well, look, I will give you a quick answer on this. This is a huge topic, and books have been written on it, and it's hard to give an answer in a soundbite, but I will do my best. The bottom line is that the God of Christianity includes is Trinitarian, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, Allah... In the, uh, in the Quran, Muslims argue that he is the same God of the Bible. The problem with that line of argument is that the uh, is Islamic conception of God based on the Quran and on the, uh, on the Islamic texts does not have space for Jesus Christ. And indeed, not only do they not have space for Jesus Christ, but it does, the Islamic view doesn't even allow for the crucifixion of Christ. So that is a pretty big gap out of the, the Christian God. So for me... No, I do not. Uh, I accept the argument that the God of Islam is the same, is identical with the God of Christianity. So definitively speaking, no, the God of Christianity is not the same God of Islam, is not Allah. We're back with more in just a few moments and we'll tie some loose ends together. Professor Peter Riddell is our guest. Uh, His latest article published in the U.S., Uh, says that what's going on in the UK, well, uh, they should have known about this decades ago uh, when authorities don't take uh, the right decisions. When some of these issues arise, there are ramifications for generations to come. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Professor Peter Riddell is our guest. Uh, Peter, uh, about five minutes remaining in our conversation. If we're drawing some loose ends together and if we're bringing Australia into the picture, if we're talking about uh, the rise of radical Islam throughout Southeast Asia, uh, we're also reflecting on those terror attacks in the UK. Uh, Let me ask you about policies of multiculturalism because the UK would have said uh, it's wonderful that we're a multicultural nation. In Australia, there's from time to time people uh, sway backwards and forwards on this where we want policies of multiculturalism and then someone else will say no we we want multi-ethnicism what are your thoughts on multiculturalism and uh, and in the Australian context as well Yes, well, look, I, I grew up 
um, and I've lived through the change really from the old white Australia policy to uh, our multicultural times and look it's been wonderful in so many different ways um, obviously in the restaurants in the in the cultural events around us in, in the variety in the richness of our society so I, I celebrate uh, multiculturalism in that way however I think we have to sit down and ask ourselves the question are we are we implementing multiculturalism with the right mindset um, for too long especially in the 1990s and early part of this century multiculturalism was about emphasizing difference sort of effectively creating a kind of separation so saying to different groups as they came to this country remain separate allow your children to remain different continue to be different and we will build up this this community of, of difference really and I think we need to change our mindset so that we celebrate the rich variety we have but we primarily focus on cohesion on working together on building something together and that will involve asking the question how do we differentiate between those who will best contribute to that process of building a unity um, and identifying some who won't we need to be much more selective really in in how we build our, our our society so I think we I think there needs to be a whole rethink of what multiculturalism means emphasizing unity cohesion building building one and let's come back to our question, is terror the new normal? We're seeing a rise in terror attacks. Uh, we're likely to see more and more. Uh, your thoughts, and we're coming to the end of our conversation now, but if we come back to that question, is terror the new normal? Uh, we are likely to see more on our news bulletins in these coming days, Peter. Um, well, yes. Um, the um, As the Islamic State falls apart in the Middle East. Its supporters will be will continue to be enraged, so they will launch more terror strikes across the world, targeting Christian minorities and, and Westerners. That's highly likely, and uh, authorities need to be prepared for that, vigilant. Um, also, uh, during the month of Ramadan, which um, Muslims consider to be the month of great spirituality, of prayer devotion, but radical Islamists see it as a month of jihad, um, that, that is a time that, 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 that's going on now, and that's why we've had such a spike in these terror attacks. So I think realistically, we are looking at more, more terror strikes um, in months and years to come, and authorities just need to be clever and uh, better prepared, ever better, better prepared in the way they handle it. Of course, that deepening of spirituality in Islam during the month of Ramadan, uh, there are some equivalents in our Christian communities. Not everybody does, uh, but there needs to be some level of deepening of our own Christian faith so that we might have adequate responses to these things as they uh, rear their ugly heads in the times to come. Absolutely. And um, th this is a time for Christians to not to retreat thinking that politics and society is so ugly that we mustn't have anything to do with it. We have to pray. We have to meet as Christians. We have to give Christian responses. We have to write to politicians. We have to get out and protest where protest is necessary and present a faith of good, strong and um, concerned, informed Christianity. Well, Professor Peter Riddell, always good getting your insights and no doubt we'll be talking again before too long as well because uh, 
if we talk about more terror attacks coming, uh, the likelihood is that there will be, and the likelihood is we'll be talking through issues, uh, something similar to what we have done today again. Uh, in your position there, Vice Principal Academic at the Melbourne School of Theology, you're also part of what is called the Centre for the Study of Islam and Other Faiths. Uh, people can study uh, more deeply these issues that are going on, and uh, I'd encourage people to simply Google the Melbourne School of Theology, and you'll be able to find a link there for the study, uh, the Centre for the Study of Islam and Other Faiths, and uh, you'll be able to uh, equip yourself to understand more deeply what's going on uh, in our part of the world as well as what's going on uh, in the Middle East and in the UK and uh, in so many other countries. Peter, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Uh, always greatly refreshed and informed after a conversation with you. Thanks for being with us on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.